morning, everybody. Hey, not bad. Not bad for sleep in service. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome to the second week of In the Silence. I went shopping this past week because I'm stupid. Um, and I walked up to the counter to pay for my purchases. I laid them down in front of the guy, and the guy standing behind the counter, he just kind of stood there and looked at me. Like, just kind of smiled. They kind of had not a whole lot of response, but just kind of stared. That, that's kind of weird. And it was just kind of one of those awkward moments. So I'm kind of like smiling and hi. And he doesn't say anything. He just stares at me. So I'm kind of looking around going like, am I missing something in this whole process that's going through? And finally, I asked him, I said, is there something wrong? And he smiled and said, nope, just getting even for what you did to us at church last weekend. Touche, you know, <laughs> if you weren't here, you don't know what that means, but that's okay, you know, his name was Greg, and Greg, you're amazing, I appreciate that you got the point. So, last weekend, on top of creating some awkward silence, we began a journey into the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that God spoke through the prophets. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So God speaks passionately. He speaks clearly. He speaks creatively to a bunch of different prophets. He speaks to a prophet by the name of Hosea and instructs him to marry the town prostitute. Her name is Gomer. I don't recommend you call your daughter that, okay? But he actually says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to be married to someone who you know is going to be unfaithful to you because I'm going to tell a story of how God has a heart for people who are rebellious and do the wrong thing. God speaks to a guy named Amos, another prophet, a crotchety old shepherd fig farmer, and he sends him to the king with this message. King, straighten up or your wife is going to sell herself in the street and all your kids are going to die. That's a nice happy message to take to the king, right? Don't believe me? Read it for yourself in your Bible. God speaks to another prophet named Isaiah, tells a story of how God's son is going to come and he's going to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And then at the very end of the Old Testament, he speaks to a prophet named Malachi and he gives Malachi this message. You need to tell the people this, stop ripping off God. God didn't want your leftovers. He's not interested in that. Stop ripping off God. Honor God the way you're supposed to. And if you do honor God, those who revere the name of God, this is what they can be assured of. The Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in His wings. So God, through the prophets, He speaks loudly and clearly, and He keeps saying, come back to me. And then as we learned last week, then God was silent. Last weekend, we talked about why God is sometimes silent, what we're supposed to do when God gets quiet. And we learned that God is sometimes silent, but that does not mean that He's absent or inactive. Even though God is quiet, it doesn't mean he's gone. It doesn't mean he's abdicated. It doesn't mean he's left the building. It doesn't mean he's doing nothing. But let's be honest. When God gets quiet, it's hard to not think that he's gone, right? The writer of Ecclesiastes says this. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. The writer of Ecclesiastes is basically saying this. When you try to figure out God, you're clueless. You're just not going to be able to figure it out. So let's be honest. Silence can be confusing when we don't know what God's up to. When you're in the middle of life, it's hard to see what God's doing because we only have one perspective. That's our own perspective. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life I wish I could get up to God's like 30,000 foot level just so I could see what it was that he was up to and where it was that he was directing me. Every year, south of Linden, the Future Farmers of America group do this thing called Corn Maze, right? 
And, and if you walk into the corn maze, it can be unbelievably confusing. There's always one kid. They put him up in a little perch, you know, 40, 50 feet off the ground. And I've always think, when I'm lost in that maze, I'm always thinking to myself, if I could just get up to where he is, I'd be able to see it. Take a left, take a right, take a left, take a right. It's simple to get through. But when all you can see is corn, it can be a little confusing. And looking at what was happening during the 400 years when God was saying nothing, we've got the benefit of history to help us see what God was up to. I want to remind you, all the people we're going to talk about today, they did not have the benefit of history. They were living in the moment, and all they knew that God had gotten really, really, really quiet. That's what they were experiencing. And I think we need to give the people we're going to talk about today credit for the fact that, that they kept walking even when they couldn't see the face of God or feel the hands of God or hear the voice of God. They kept walking anyway. Because, you know, maybe that's where you're at today. You showed up at church, you know, it's kind of getting close to Christmas, so it's probably put in a little bit of church time. And, but maybe you're here, and it's been a really long time since you've heard the voice of God. Maybe it's been months since you felt the hand of God on your shoulder, guiding you, directing you. Maybe it, it would be a dream, but you've never even experienced what it means to see the face of God yourself. No matter how you walked in, my hope and prayer is that you will keep following, even when you can't hear. So I know some of you hated history in school. All right? I loved history. It's one of my favorite classes. Dr. David Pledoir, one of the best teachers I ever had. He could make history come alive. Now, some of you, as soon as I say the word history, you go back to sixth grade and it's just like get glazed over. So it's like that. It's not fun stuff. All right? But I'm going to ask you to stick with me because I've got a conviction about history. If you don't learn the lessons from the past, you're doomed to repeat them. So we're going to take a look at 400 years of history in seven and a half minutes, okay? So put on your seatbelt, get ready, because here we're going to go, okay? During the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and New Testament, the people of God were under the rule of six different empires, okay? There were the Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Maccabees, and the Romans, okay? And I just want, I, I want you to understand this. The people of God were being ruled by someone other than themselves, and God was not talking. When I get in that circumstance, when I feel like I'm being ruled by something and God's not talking, this is my question. Is God gone? Have I finally crossed so far over the line of sin that he's actually like taken his hand off of me and disappeared? I also ask this question. Is there any hope for me if God has disappeared? Well, here's the good news. While God's people were being ruled during this 400 years of history, God was up to something. God was doing something in the background. God was whispering, keep waiting, keep expecting. Hope is coming, forgiveness is coming, restoration is coming, Messiah is coming. So what was God up to during these times of occupation? What was he doing? Well, let me just break it out for you, okay? The first group of people to rule the Israelites during this time were the Persians. The guy who was in charge was a guy named Cyrus, Cyrus king of Persia. And at that time in history, everybody thought all of human history revolved around the king. In this particular part of history, though, what God was doing had nothing to do with the king. It had to do with one of the king's employees. A guy whose job it was to walk around with a cup and make sure that the king was hydrated. Okay? He was a cupbearer, and his name was Nehemiah. Even though God was silent to the nation, God was whispering to Nehemiah. And this is my paraphrase of what God said to his cupbearer. He went to Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah... I want you to go and talk to that little man up there who thinks he's in charge. And I want you to tell him this. I want to go home. 
That's your message to the king. So that's what he did. He went. And if you read the book of Nehemiah, if you read Ezra and all of those books in the Old Testament, during the rule of the Persians, we find some incredible things happen. Jerusalem is resettled, even though it had been devastated at one point. The temple of God was rebuilt, even though it was completely shredded at another point in history. And the law, the original books of the Bible, were given back to the people. So God is quiet, but some stuff starts happening. Some of God's people go home. They rebuild God's dwelling place. And the voice of God on paper is put back in the hands of the people who need it. Now here's an interesting note. When the people of Israel were being occupied by the Persians, almost all of them were living in idolatry. They'd exchanged what God had for them for an idol. And that's what they were worshiping instead. They'd also been told this. The prophets years before had said, if you ever give yourself to idol worship, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in trouble. And because you give yourself to idol worship, you're going to be taken into captivity. So put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites, because all of a sudden they're looking around going, we are experiencing a story that I have heard before. Somebody said we were going to be put in captivity if we worshipped idols. That's what we've been doing, and here we are. Some of the people started waking up. God began to whisper. And some of God's people started leaving their idols behind and returning to God. And then as the history books tell us, a guy showed up by the name of Alexander the Great. Okay? Alexander the Great shows up and the Israelites are now ruled by the Greeks. And uh, Alexander doesn't just show up with a, a Greek army. He shows up with some other things. He brings Greek culture, Greek philosophy, and the Greek language along with him. And, and, and while the Greek thought process was very, very far from the kind of process that God wanted his people to be thinking, Alexander actually brought something cool. He brought religious freedom along with him. And people were allowed to express their own ideas. Greek thought led a lot of God's people down a bad path, but God was still whispering to his people. As often happens, when the Greek empire collapsed, the Israelites were ruled by the Egyptians for a time. Now, don't think the, the wrong season of like, hey, this is not Moses and the Red Sea, and, 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 and the plagues, and all the stuff that happened in Exodus that we talked about this past summer, not that time in history. Fast forward a couple of thousand years. Totally different group of Egyptians, but they were still occupying Israel at that time. This was a time when God allowed huge population and economic growth. Suddenly this little nation was not so little anymore. What's unique about history is the Egyptians were actually nice to the Israelites at this time. I started thinking about that. I'm like, you bet they were nice. Because way back here, they were not so nice, and it did not go well for them at all, right? All the plagues, frogs, locusts, rivers being turned into blood, children dying. I mean, not a good scene. They learned a lesson. We should probably be nice to these people, even though we're occupying the territory. The Egyptians, their empire falls apart, and a group of people arrive called the Syrians. The Egyptians were nice, the Syrians not so much, Okay? But what was amazing is this. As they oppressed the Israelites, it actually pushed them deeper into God. The, the people of God began to develop strength through opposition and oppression. I mean, the great theologian Kelly Clarkson said, what didn't kill them made them stronger, right? Okay? <laughs> 10 o'clock and 8.30 didn't get that at all. I knew my people at the sleep-in service would understand that. Okay. One for three with that joke. Okay, so. But they kind of live out something that happens, right? I don't know about you. It's not the good times in my life that press me deeper into God. It's the challenges. 
It's the opposition. It's the stuff that comes against me. And it pushes them deeper into God. In the silence, the Israelites begin to grow deeper. The Syrians are overthrown, actually internally, by a group of people known as the Maccabees. During this time, there's a huge increase in nationalism and religious zeal. And I want to remind you about something. That just because God was not talking, it didn't mean the message of the prophets was gone. It had been written down. It had been recorded. And that's why they're in our Bible. And the people during the Maccabean Revolt, if you want some great history this afternoon, Google that. Maccabean Revolt. During this time, whispers began to, to, to spread through the people of Israel. Whispers of a Messiah, a king, were being shared in, in little pockets of people. God was whispering again through the prophets of old, and he was saying this, there's a king coming. The last group to rule were the Romans. Jerusalem was conquered by Rome and the Roman Empire showed up and they started bringing all different kinds of infrastructure. You've heard about the Roman roads, Roman shipping routes. They enhanced communication. I mean, it was just amazing as this Roman Empire came and imposed itself over the people of Israel. Now, before you guys just start drifting away on me, some of you, I can see that glassy sixth grade history look on your faces. Let me ask the question that hopefully we're all asking. So what? <laughs> who cares, right? 400 years of history, six different empires, who gives a rip? Let me tell you why this is important. It's because of the first seven words of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. The Bible says this, but when the time had fully come, let me read the whole verse. When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. When the time had fully come, when, when the table was completely set, when everything was absolutely perfect, in that instant, God introduces Jesus into the human story. God had been silent for 400 years, and mankind was doing what it always does, thinking that we were all that, thinking that we were in control, thinking that, that, that our technological advances were a big deal. And all the while, for 400 years, God wasn't talking, but he was moving kings and kingdoms around like pawns on a chessboard. And suddenly, God breaks the silence with the birth of a baby, the Messiah. God whispers the name of Emmanuel, God with us, into human history. And the guy in charge, King Herod, starts freaking out because he heard all the stories and all of the rumors. And the word begins to spread that there is a Messiah actually being born in Israel. And, and, and the reason that the story begins to spread so fast is because over 90% of the known world at that time was speaking a common language. Anybody guess what it was? Greek. Thank you, Alexander, so much. All of a sudden, the, the, the letters... As the life of Jesus begins to be expanded and this itinerant homeless Jewish rabbi starts teaching and being profound in so many different ways, all of a sudden the gospel begins to travel on roads that were built by the empire of Rome. And all of a sudden people go, God has been really, really busy over this last little while. And the Israelites begin to hear whispers and their strength, refined by Syrian oppression, begins to flow and move. And national pride starts rising up as the people of God take their rightful place again. And suddenly, everything God was up to in those 400 years, it all starts pointing to this little town in Bethlehem where God chooses to break the silence with the sound of a baby. If you're a parent and you have an infant, 
At 3 a.m., the cry of your baby is not quiet, is it? It's loud. Loud in the ears of its parent. Well, in this little tiny town, in insignificant Israel, God introduces His Son, and when that baby cried, the world completely ignored it. But here's what we need to know. The cry of that baby was quiet in earthly terms, but it thundered in heaven. It thundered in heaven, and it thundered glory to God in the highest. Messiah is here. God never left. You can see the face of God, feel the hands of God. It's God in human flesh. Jesus has come. Redemption is here. Forgiveness rules. Justification is possible. For 400 years, you haven't heard anything, and now hope has returned. Amen? That's Christmas right there. God was silent, but he'd been so busy behind the scenes. And never, ever had he ever been closer. In fact, he was close enough to whisper. So we got all the history. Let me ask some questions so that we know why this is so relevant. Thousands of years later. To everybody here today, what rules you? Unlike the Israelites who were ruled by outside forces, most of the things that rule me, honestly, I've given permission to it. Just like everybody else in the room, I crack the door of my life to sin, and pretty soon I'm being occupied by something that I don't like. God's not talking, and something or someone that you don't like is running your life. That's a tough place to be, isn't it? We experience that all the time. We love Jesus, but we're ruled by fear. I mean, it just, I, I, I'm meeting people again, and they're just like, you know, I love Jesus, but Grant, this whole Mayan calendar thing is freaking me out. I'm like, really? Really? Did you forget May 15th? Have we forgotten? These initials always embarrass people. Y2K. Ooh. Water and milk jugs and bleach, right? Because the world's coming to an end. And people that love Jesus are still ruled by fear based on a calendar that was made by a group of people that no longer exist. That should be a clue. We love Jesus, but one sin that just keeps tripping us up rules our weakness. We love Jesus, but that one relationship we can't let go of it, it pulls us away from God. And I don't know about you, but I hate being owned by anything. And yet there's moments in our life when we're ruled by our impulses, ruled by our wants, ruled by our lack of strength to break free, ruled by our past, ruled by our failure, ruled by our broken nature, and ruled by our lack of ability to be able to save ourselves. Let me ask the question again. What's ruling you this Christmas? If your to-do list or to-buy list is ruling you, I want to remind you, you created those lists, which means you have the power and authority to uncreate them. What if your to-do and to-buy list was replaced with a godly to-be list? This year, I'm going to be peaceful. This year, I'm going to be quiet. This year, I'm going to be forgiving. This year, I'm going to be generous. 
Maybe your broken family system is ruling you this season. If that's you, I want to remind you that you can break that rule using boundaries and forgiveness and grace and peace. For some of you, your calendar is ruling you right now. It's ruling you. And I want to remind you that that calendar can be brought before the God who actually has made all of this Christmas stuff possible and that you can allow peace and silence to rule in your heart if you have a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace. This is an easy concept to talk about, but it's a harder principle to implement. It's hard at times to enter into a time when you literally start looking for what is God doing in the background. And give you a personal example. So I've been living through a masochistic, self-inflicted pain experience, okay? Over the last couple of months, I have been reading or listening to every message I've ever preached at Christ the King Church over the last 10 years. At every service, people go, oh, was it that bad? Really? Wow. Okay. So, thanks for the encouragement, family. Yeah. Wee. Merry Christmas. Okay, so. For those of you who've actually been here over the last decade, this is what I would say after listening to myself in some 500 plus messages. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Thank you for your grace. And if you were here on certain weekends, I'm just plain sorry. Okay, there's no other word for it. All right? As I began to listen to these old messages, I began to realize something. Back in the early years, especially years one through four, I was preaching about Jesus, but the fear of man was ruling in my heart. And do you know why I know, I, why I know that's true? It's because there were some things missing, like challenge, like unapologetic truth, like statements like, I don't care if you don't like what God says, this is what he said. I was preaching about Jesus, but the fear of man was killing me. I was preaching about Jesus, but the idea of being liked was ruling in my heart. So somewhere I made a subconscious decision to just play it safe. I thought success was being able to smile at everybody, slap each other a high five, and give each other a hug on the way out the door. Instead of at times allowing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to come in and course correct all of us, me included. I was preaching about following Jesus no matter what, but honestly the fear of failure and the fear of rejection was ruling in my heart, and then God whispered. About year four and a half, almost five. God whispered these words from the book of Galatians. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And God whispered, and He began to work in the background, in places that nobody else could see. And He put me in situations where I had to choose between pleasing Him or pleasing people. He put me in places where I had to either grow a spine and take a stand, or go home with my tail between my legs, knowing I didn't do what God asked me to do. And every time I would speak out for Him, there would always be a little bit of pushback, but in the back of the pushback, I would hear this little still, small whisper that would say, I'm here, don't give up, keep going, Share the truth. Be courageous. Stand up tall. I will never let my words come back empty. Grant, this is my dream for you. I would rather you be a fool in the eyes of a man than a fool in the eyes of God. 
that was my thing. What's yours? Could it be possible that the very thing that's ruling you this Christmas, if it was broken, could be paving the way to something amazing if you would just surrender it to God and say, you can do whatever you want with it? Could it be? What's ruling you? Second question. What's God whispering? Now, I want you to be careful of this one because I, as Christians, I don't know where this came from, but for some reason, we think every time God whispers, He gives us to-do lists. That doesn't sound like the God I know. My daughter came down for breakfast yesterday morning. And when she came down, I did not just look at her and go, McKenna, vacuum. It didn't. I said, good morning, princess. And I got a hug. That sounds like a daddy to me. And our Heavenly Father is a father and calls himself a father for a reason. So when I start talking about what's God whispering, don't think to-do list right away. I think there's people in this room today, and I think God is whispering this to you. I forgave you. Would you please forgive yourself? Release the burden. Let it go. I don't remember it. Stop condemning yourself. Live free. I think there's people here and God's whispering this. You need to quit your job because it doesn't honor me. And you need to trust me to provide. I think for some others here, God's saying get to work. But that's just my personal opinion, okay? I think God is whispering this to some people over the next couple of weeks. You need to forgive your parents and stop blaming them for every bad thing that's ever happened in your life. Live your own life to God's glory. I think there's some parents in the room and God is whispering this to you. You need to forgive your kids because your Heavenly Father forgave you. I think some of you are hearing this whisper today. You need to come and sit with me and let's just talk. I think you need to hear God whisper, I'm just glad you're here. I think God may whisper to some of you to give your coat away on your way home to someone standing on a street corner because it's just cold. And that's what Jesus would do. I think some of you are hearing God whisper this, your truck is an idol, let it go. Now I just crossed the line from whispering to meddling, okay? So that's all right, all right? Maybe God's whispering this, don't stop asking for your healing because I'm still the God that heals. I don't know what God's whispering to you today. Maybe it's stop. Maybe it's go. Maybe it's wait. Maybe it's speak. Maybe it's believe. I mean, I was in my early 40s when God finally just convinced me that that everything that he said to me was not always a to-do list, but very often it was a to-be moment. It took me like 42 years to figure out that I was supposed to receive a message that God had for me since I was little. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Some of you today, it's not a to-do list. You just need to receive the fact that God is saying, I am crazy out of my brain in love with you because you're my kid. Last question, is the whisper to be received or just obeyed? 
For some of you, God is telling you to do something. Just make sure you listen to the first part of the conversation. And I have no idea whether God is telling you to receive it or to obey it. What I do know is the only way you'll be able to hear it is if you wait for God in the silence. We're going to end our service a little different this morning. See, what I know is this. What God's been whispering to me all day is probably not the same thing He's whispering to you. God's message for Grant is not the same message as He has for Catherine today. Or Terry and Rebecca. Or John and Jean. Or Laurel and Braden and McKenna. My question is, maybe we just need a little bit of time or what would happen to us if we actually listened to God's whisper? So I'm going to ask the band to come back and join me. And Pastor Mike is just going to lead us in a time. I actually put a little place in your outline that says, what did God whisper? If he says something, I want you to write it down so that you can remember a moment when God spoke to you. And I don't know if it's supposed to be received or obeyed. That's between you and Emmanuel, God with you, not between you and me.